in. Come on in. My name is Adam Russell. I'm the pastor here at the Vineyard. Really glad you guys are with us. Before we start today's message, we're going to receive one more offering. This is our least of these offering, which we receive every single month. You guys can come on up. Go ahead and we'll go ahead and you guys can pass the baskets right now. Uh, This is an offering we receive every single month uh, for the poor and the needy in Campbellsville, specifically widows and, and orphans. Um, you might not realize that, that, there is a, that there's a considerable need in our community, but there really is. And this offering, 100% of it goes just to keep lights on and keep groceries in the pantry. It's a really big deal. I'd encourage you to be generous. Generous, generous. While they're passing that and while you are throwing your dollars in there, if you want, you can open up your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 4. We're going to start a new series here this morning at the Vineyard called Get Wisdom. We're going to spend about a month in the book of Proverbs. <clears throat> I'll let them finish before I get going. Read some scripture to you this morning. This is going to be sort of the backdrop to everything I want to say this morning. And this morning's message is an introduction for the series. We'll start with Proverbs chapter 4. We're going to start with verse 1 here. It says this. It says, Hear, O sons, a father instruction. Daughters too. And be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the side of my mother, he taught me and he said to me, let your heart hold fast my words and keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom. Get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her. And she will guard you. She will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. That's kind of a fun one. Prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. And she will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Well, we're starting this series here at the Vineyard called Get Wisdom. And I'm actually very excited about this series because it's going to give us a chance as a church to take what I consider to be some countercultural steps. Some countercultural steps. One of the marks of every true Christian community is this paradox that should exist. In that community. Paradox meaning two things that seem to be opposite but somehow mysteriously joined. Here's what I mean by that. In the context of every Christian community, there should be this idea 
and this reality that we're culturally relevant, like that, that we're reaching out, that we speak the common language of, of, the, of our times, that, that whatever's happening in the world, we're, we, we understand it and we, we touch it. We're not simply trying to escape the world, but we're entering into the world just like Jesus did. And at the same time, every Christian community, if it's real and if it's genuine, has, has a countercultural bent to it. There's a, there's a going against the grain. And um, this is an opportunity for us to live in some of that going against the grainness that is the earmark of every community that professes faith in Jesus. And here's what I mean by that. If we pursue wisdom, we will be profoundly countercultural. And we'll explore that in a moment a little bit more. Uh, but before we get that, I, I, I want to say just a couple things. I want to say a couple things to you right here up front. Um, right here up front, I want you to know that just because I am going to be standing up here uh, in front of you for the next few weeks presenting and preaching and proclaiming the ways of life and wisdom, I want you to know this. I want you to know that I'm going to be doing this as someone who's still in the process of formation. I'm going to be doing this as someone who still needs to get wisdom himself. I'm going to proclaim God's word. Uh, I'm going to proclaim it with confidence. And um, not only that, but I actually believe that this word that we're going to explore for the next few weeks is a word for us right here, right now in the moment. But at the same time, I want you to know that I'll be doing so with the full knowledge that I'm still in need of wisdom, that I'm still somebody who's in need of formation. Uh, over and over again, it says in the Proverbs that wisdom is crying out in the streets. Uh, you guys are not just the people who need to go out in the streets and meet her. I need to go and meet her. Uh, this particular series uh, is a series that I am preaching alongside you rather than ahead of you or above you, if that makes sense. Now, that's always my heart as a church, but this one in particular is one that I want you to know, uh, no matter how it sounds, uh, that I am preaching this alongside you. I'm, I'm not necessarily ahead of you, and I'm certainly not above you. I'm right beside you. This is stuff that, that we need to hear, and that includes, that includes me. Now, I, the reason I say this up front uh, is because oftentimes these kinds of messages, messages from the Proverbs or even to a certain extent messages from like Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and, five, six and 7, oftentimes these kinds of messages come off, come off as being moralistic finger-wagging. You know what I mean? Like dude gets up in front and tells everybody how it ought to be, you know? And just sort of this, there's sometimes is this air of moralistic finger-wagging. And uh, the, reason, the reason I want to tell you that I'm beside you, not above you, is because those attitudes, that haughty spirit, moralistic finger-wagging, that stuff, those attitudes are not attitudes that I want associated with me, and they're certainly attitudes that I don't want associated with the Vineyard Church. That's just not who we are. Uh, the, and the main reason I don't want any association with those kinds of attitudes is because, is because uh, those kinds of things, a haughty heart, uh, uh, moralistic tones, uh, they don't engender an atmosphere of transformation by grace at all. Those attitudes in particular, they, pres they presuppose that the power is somehow resident within us as individuals, that if we just work harder, then we'll get better results, that if we look inward, we'll see correctly, 
And while wisdom, while walking in wisdom does require reflection, hopefully we're going to become more meditative over the next few weeks. While it does require reflection, and while there may need to be some introspection, and while it may even be, uh, while it may even mean that you and I take up some hard work, uh, all of the hard work, all of the introspection, and all of the reflection will be done in cooperation with God and His Spirit. Growing in grace, growing in grace is always. Always, always, firstly, partnership with God's Spirit. And as a result, it always begins with an awareness that we have a need. That, that, that I'm someone who still has needs. That, that there are places in me that, that have needs. And, and not only that, but I have needs and probably you have needs. And our needs can only ultimately ever be met in God. They can only be met in God. There's simply no room for pride and moralistic finger-wagging, not even from the pastor. Secondly, secondly, the backdrop of this whole series will be the book of Proverbs. And when I say the backdrop, what I mean is sort of the foundation that undergirds everything that we're going to be talking about for the next four weeks is the book of Proverbs. Uh, we, may not, we may not actually even read out of the Proverbs every single week, but it's going to be the backdrop. It's going to be the backdrop. And I want to say a couple things about the book of Proverbs. Uh, The first thing is this. It it is a collection of quote-unquote wise sayings, but it is also, in some ways, uh, it's a a collection of ancient Hebrew poetry. It's a literary style. Uh, It's mostly written by Solomon, although there were other guys who threw their hats into the ring as well. And in some ways, the book of Proverbs, along with the book of Psalms, are the Old Testament equivalent of Jay-Z or Kanye. It's poetry. Don't believe me? Let's do some Kanye here for a moment. To the hustlers, killers, murderers, drug dealers, even the strippers, Jesus walks with them. To the victims of welfare, for we're living in hell here. Hell yeah, Jesus walks with them. Now hear ye, hear ye, Want to see thee more clearly. I know he hear me when my feet get weary. Because we're almost nearly extinct. We rappers are role models. We rap, we don't think. I ain't here to argue about his facial features. Or here to convert atheists to believers. I'm just trying to say the way school needs teachers. The way Kathy Lee needs Regis. That's the way I need Jesus. So here go, my single dog radio needs this. They say you can rap about anything except for Jesus. That means guns, sex, lies, videotape. But if I talk about God, my record won't get played. Huh? Well, let this take away from my spins, which will probably take away from my ends. Then I hope this takes away from my sins and bring the day that I've been dreaming about Next time I'm in the club, everybody's screaming out. God, show me the way because the devil trying to break me down. Jesus walks. The only thing I pray is that my feet don't fail me now. Jesus walks. And, and I don't think there's nothing I can do now my, to right my wrongs. Jesus walks with me. I want to talk to God, but I'm afraid because we ain't spoken so long. Maybe Kanye's not your thing. 
I don't know. Uh, maybe Dylan. Maybe some Dylan. Everybody okay with Dylan? Here's some Dylan for you. See, see, the book of Proverbs, it's not just wise sayings. It's poetry. It's, it's the ancient equivalent of Kanye, Jay-Z, or maybe Bob Dylan. Here's some Bob Dylan. Well, the deputy walks on hard nails and the preacher rides a mount. But nothing really matters much. It's doom alone that counts. And the one-eyed undertaker, he blows a futile horn. Come in, she said. I'll give you shelter from the storm. I've heard newborn babies wailing and and mourning like a dove. And old men with broken teeth stranded without love. Do I understand your question, man? Is it hopeless and forlorn? Come in, she said. I'll give you shelter from the storm. In a little hilltop village, they gambled for my clothes. I bargained for salvation, and they gave me a lethal dose. I offered up my innocence and got repaid with scorn. Come in, she said. I'll give you shelter from the storm. How many of you all realize that Dylan's already telling about four stories here all at once? Yeah, come on. Well, I'm living in a foreign country, but I'm bound to cross the line. Beauty walks a razor's edge. Someday I'll make it mine. If I could only turn back the clock to when God and her were born. Come in, she said. I'll give you shelter from the storm. Proverbs is the backdrop. It's the Old Testament equivalent of Jay-Z, Kanye, Bob Dylan. And as you engage with the scripture in the next month, as you engage with these verses, you may not hear the rhyme scheme that you heard in Kanye, and you may not hear the rhyme scheme that you even heard in Bob Dylan, but I want you to know that the verses in the book of Proverbs do rhyme, but it's usually idea rhymes. Does everybody here understand what an idea rhyme is? It's an idea rhyme. It isn't always, it's not necessarily about the the sounds that the vowels make in the words, but it's about the ideas that they connect. Oftentimes in the book of Proverbs, there's a teaching and the ideas rhyme both in similarity and sometimes in dissonance. And it's just an ancient form of something that you and I take for granted in a different way. So the Proverbs, they occupy the same cultural space as what we listen to on the radio. They were in some ways the lyrical backdrop along with the book of Psalms for an entire nation. And because there were the lyrical backdrop along with the book of Psalms of an entire nation and whole people group, uh, because of that, they're going to be our lyrical backdrop for the next month. Now, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but the book of Proverbs has 31 chapters in it, which is quite convenient because what that means is this. It means that if you were to read one chapter a day from the book of Proverbs, if you were to make it the backdrop of your life in some way, that over the course of a month, you could absorb it. Kind of cool, right? So why don't we do this? Today is the 18th of the month. And before you go to sleep tonight, why don't you just turn to Proverbs chapter 18 and just take it in? And then tomorrow, why don't you take up the 19th chapter? That'd be all right? How about this? We'll just make a little deal here as the church. We're just going to read the book of Proverbs together for the next month. That'd be all right? And if you've been reading something else, you don't even have to quit it because it only takes about three and a half minutes to read a chapter from the book of Proverbs. We're not actually adding all that much. And if you're not reading anything, then just jump right on in. Jump right on in. We're going to make it the lyrical backdrop to our life. And the reason we want to do this The reason we want to do this is because we want to get wisdom. That's what this series is about. Now, 
How many of you understand that wisdom is not the same thing as knowledge? Maybe you never thought about that before. Maybe, maybe, maybe you've never done a little reflection here. But if you haven't, we'll start this morning. Wisdom is not the same thing as knowledge. This needs to be reflected upon because you and I are living, you and I are living in a time that has been dubbed the information age. You guys heard that phrase before? The information age. I think it's quite telling that the people who give names to things have given the age in which we live a name and they've called it the information age. I think that I think that's telling. Uh, in fact, uh, to say it a different way, I think it's really revealing that I have never, no, not once in my life, ever heard someone call the age in which we live the wisdom age. Have you? This is the information age. It's interesting. Not exactly the wisdom age. See, we live in a time of facts we live in a time of facts stacked on top of facts. We live in a time of discovery after discovery. Human beings have been on a quest for knowledge, and we have in many ways actually found a few things out. Not a few things, but lots and lots of things. Not only that, but they say that knowledge is power. Anybody here heard that? They say knowledge is power. Same people who call this the information age. That's what they say. They say this is they say that knowledge is power. And, and here's one thing that I would like to say about that. Knowledge actually is power. But, but for, for people who haven't done the hard work of reflection, and for people who haven't done, done the necessary work of gaining wisdom, one of the things that we've come to realize, maybe we haven't articulated it yet, but we'll do so at least a little bit this morning, is that if you run after knowledge without running after wisdom, you will end up with power and it will be brutal power knowledge divorced from wisdom is not just power but it's brutal power knowledge divorced from wisdom is not just power it's heartbreaking power and knowledge divorced from wisdom is tear people up power it's unrestrained power sadly the world is mostly being run by smart people but what is needed is wise people Knowledge is not the same thing as wisdom. Knowledge is, in some ways, just the accumulation of facts. Wisdom is application-oriented. Wisdom is the good application of what we know to bring benefit not just for me, but for you and as many people as possible. This is why you can have knowledge about... You, this is why you can have knowledge but not have wisdom. Anybody ever met someone who was really, really smart but did really dumb things? Is anybody in this room that person? Yeah. I got a couple takers on that. <clears throat> yeah. Wisdom is not the same thing as knowledge. And because of that, it's one of the reasons why it's possible to meet people who are really smart, who do really dumb things. Wisdom is not the same thing as knowledge. Uh, that's also why lots of us know all kinds of facts about nutrition and finances, but we don't always do it. Uh, most of the world's problems, like the really serious problems in the world, 
They mirror our waistlines, our cholesterol numbers, and our busted bank accounts. The issues aren't so much knowledge-related as they are wisdom-deficient, if that makes sense. Sometimes it's easy to know a thing. Sometimes knowing how to do a thing, how to apply what I know, it's incredibly, incredibly difficult. How many of you have ever had babies and you read all the books and you thought you knew something and then you got the baby? Yeah, so you can have knowledge and still not know anything. Like, read baby books all day long. Until you have one, you don't know anything. Wisdom. We need wisdom. The world's being run by smart people. And what I hear the Spirit saying is, what's needed is wisdom. So why do we go for it? Why should we pursue it? One of the themes that you'll see over and over again in the book of Proverbs is this admonition, this this invitation to run after wisdom. Well, why should you and I run after wisdom? Well, it's really simple. We've got to run after wisdom because it, it requires wisdom to rightly apply knowledge. Uh, for all of our advanced degrees uh, that we have, and by the way, I don't know of a church anywhere. There probably is a church somewhere, but I don't know of any church that has more advanced degrees per capita than this one. Like, we, like you guys got like 19 master's degrees and, and 57 PhDs, and some of, some of that's all in the same person. Like, Bree's got like 19 master's degrees. And that's a good thing. Pursuing knowledge is a good thing. But we should also begin to pursue wisdom so that we can most fully express the knowledge that we have gathered. We've got to go for wisdom. We've got to pursue it because no one is born wise. No one is born wise. Let's put a picture of this little baby. Look at that baby. Nobody's born wise. Isn't that a cute baby? That is it. This baby is cute. Does anybody in this room think that baby isn't cute? I'm interested. Yeah. It's unanimous. It's a cute baby. But this baby is also completely incapable of making wise decisions. This baby doesn't know anything. See, you and I, we have to go for wisdom. We have to pursue it because no one is born wise. No one is born wise. No one in the history of the planet has ever, no, not one time, ever been born wise. As soon as you exit your mother's womb, you are cute and dumb. Now, this means a couple things, and I hope this will be encouraging. This means a couple things. It means, number one, that you and I will have to pursue wisdom. It means that you and I will have to look for it. It means that you're going to have to listen for wise words. And you're going to have to make becoming wise a priority. Wisdom does not happen. You know what? Uh, wisdom, wisdom never just happens. Wisdom takes some intention. And you have to kind of run after it. And you have to develop a heart and a mind that is open to receiving and grabbing hold of it. Uh, you know, one of the things... One of the things about growing up is no one has to try to grow up. Like, like larger femurs happen. I don't even, I'm trying to think of other bones that I know. <laughs> Femur is the only one that's coming to me. The tibia. The ulna. You can... You will get a larger ulna. 
without even trying. You will never, ever, ever, ever get wisdom without pursuing it. Wisdom doesn't happen. Wisdom is pursued. No one's born wise, so you have to pursue it. The other thing that this means, the fact that no one is born wise, it also means that wisdom is not the property of anyone except the hungry. The rich don't own it, the powerful don't control it, and the elite can't brand it. If you're hungry, you can eat. If you want wisdom, you can find it. Anybody in the room brave enough to admit that they're borderline, that they're a borderline idiot and they need wisdom? There we go. Good news. You might be an idiot today, but give yourself five years and you could be a wise person. You can pursue it. Nobody owns it. Nobody can keep you from it. No one can, no one can gather it to themselves. Wisdom is for the hungry. Second reason that we need to go for wisdom is because blessing and happiness are its rewards. I want to put up a scripture here from Proverbs chapter 3. This is just, we're going to do a little popcorn here for a moment. Proverbs chapter 3 verse 13 says, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom. Your, your Bible might say happy. Happy is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. This is, this is really important. It's important because I've yet to meet even one single person in the whole world who wasn't at some level trying to find happiness. Right? Like, like no one is hoping to be miserable. No one has a life goal as a 12-year-old and, and, and says to their mom, you know, mom, I'm hoping that by the time I'm 50 that I can be a greedy, terrible, miserable person who has no friends. Right? Like in the history of dinner conversations, that's never been said. The really weird thing about that is this, that, that even though no one has ever made it a life goal to be a 50-year-old, greedy, miserable person with no friends, people end up being 50 years old, greedy, miserable, and no friends all the time. And you have to ask yourself, well, how did that happen? How did that happen? I think one of the ways, at least a contributing factor, one of the ways that that kind of a scenario takes root in your life is when you begin to pursue happiness, when you begin to pursue blessing without pursuing wisdom. See, the world seeks after happiness in one particular way, in drink and sex and fame and getting and accumulation. But the scriptures say that if you want to be happy, the first thing you need to do is you need to do something that's counterintuitive. You need to seek wisdom. What happens if you seek happiness for the sake of happiness? You ever met somebody who did that? Sad. Isn't it weird? Isn't it weird that you could seek happiness and end up sad? Have you ever thought about that? Um, how many of you have ever realized that you could seek, you could seek like financial security and end up miserable? Like I, one, I had an incredibly sad conversation once with a guy who was in his late 40s, grew up poor, and... Uh, decided, made sort of an inner vow with himself when he was a young man. Um, I am not, not, not going to raise a family the way that I was raised. I, 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 I am going to 
provide in a way that is substantial and, you know, you know what I'm saying. You can imagine that. And he did. He became career focused and he made a lot of money. And he sat in my office one day and said, I thought that I was going to be happy. I've got a bank account full of money and I hate my life. Like, how does that happen? Well, it happens when you pursue happiness but never pursue wisdom. When you pursue blessing but never come back to God. This is, this is how it happens. And the scriptures say that if you want to actually be happy, if you want to live the blessed life, you need to seek wisdom. And so it's counterintuitive. Wisdom might show us happiness, but in a way that we never imagined. Rather than a life of getting and accumulation, wisdom may show us another kind of life, a life of giving, a life of taking up the cross, Ooh. or a life of living for others. The mystery of the kingdom may mean that the common goal of happiness may come by uncommon means. Uh, here's what I mean by that. How many of you understand that when Jesus took up the cross, he was taking up the wise way? Now, this is really weird, but Jesus was taking up the wise way when he took up the cross. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 18, he says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but for those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Not only that, but the writer of Hebrews says something really strange. He says that for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. How many of, this, how many of, how many of you agree that this, these are strange things to say, especially in the context of our wider culture and what people value? The only way makes sense the only way it makes sense is that somewhere in that, somewhere in what Paul's talking about there in the first chapter of Corinthians, somewhere in what the writer of Hebrews is talking about when he says that Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, somewhere in this counterintuitive thing, somewhere in there must be a way that we've never considered, and that way must be wise, and it might actually lead to a kind of happiness and blessing that none of us ever really imagined. See the, see, the voices in modern culture say, if you can just get stuff, if you can get a house and then get a bigger house and then get a brick house and then get a bigger brick house and then get a two-car garage and fill that two-car garage with a boat and then get a bigger boat and then get another house that has more bricks and more garages with more boats and more jet skis, then one day you'll be happy. And it just isn't true. You got to get wisdom first. Secondly, Proverbs chapter 19, verse 8. This is one that needs reflection. Love this little poem. Proverbs says this, Whoever gets sense loves his own soul. He who keeps understanding will discover good. Whoever gets sense, gets wisdom, loves his own soul. See, we live in a self-help culture. Uh, We also live in a self-esteem culture. We live in a self-help culture and we live in a self-esteem culture. Um, we live in a culture where everybody's a winner, nobody's a loser, and at the end of soccer season, everybody gets a medal, right? Yeah, you're a winner. We didn't keep score this year because we're all winners. I hate that. I just, listen, when my kids were coming through that soccer stuff where they didn't keep score, I was keeping score over there. And I let them know. I'm like, yeah, y'all won today. You didn't win. Y'all got smoked. That little girl put four goals on you today. You know, it's like, but we live in a self-esteem culture where everybody's a winner, right? And, and part of the reason that we live in this self-esteem culture where everybody's a winner and nobody's a loser and everybody's great is because, because we know, we know, we've discovered knowledge here. 
we've discovered that it's really important to somehow, by some means, quiet the voices of self-hatred that torment us. And by the way, everybody, everybody has seasons, sometimes short, sometimes long, where there's a voice inside of self-hatred. And if you listen to it, it'll ruin your life, right? And we've, 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 we've woken up, I speak for a living, we've, we've become aware of the fact that if you listen to that voice, it's not going to turn out good, and we've got to do something about it. And so this sort of like self-help, self-esteem culture grew up around it. No, you're not a terrible person. We're going to give you a medal, right? <laughs> but what the Scripture holds out to us is this, that whoever gets sense loves his own soul. You know the kindest thing that you could do for yourself? Get wisdom. It's the kindest thing you could do for yourself. And I actually have some more stuff that I want to share maybe in in a week or two about this. I think this is really important. Whoever loves themselves. See, what what, what culture is telling us right now is if you love yourself, go ahead and buy that pair of shoes you've been wanting. If you love yourself, you deserve it. Like, have have another piece of cake, you deserve it. Like, whatever it is, I, I don't know. You guys know what I'm talking about. Have you seen Parks and Rec? Treat yourself. That's the best. That's the best episode. Treat yourself like whatever. I wish I had brought that clip. See, I, too late. Next time. But culture is telling us that 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 the way to happiness, that the way to loving your own soul, is to like just get what you want or whatever. But the scripture is showing us something here that may be counterintuitive, and it's a little bit quiet. But the best way to love yourself, the best way to love yourself is to pursue wisdom. Get wisdom. Now, there are two quick foundations to getting wisdom. And we're going to discover some more as we go along. But I just want to throw out two here this morning. Uh, The first, we've already talked about it a bit, but I want to hit it again and go one step below. In order to get wisdom, you actually have to pursue it. Wisdom doesn't happen. It's a choice. But it's more than a choice. Wisdom is also a kind of heart. Uh, It's the kind of heart that realizes that it has not arrived yet. Wisdom requires humility. Or to say it another way, humility makes way for wisdom. I want to talk about this for for a second. Wisdom is a kind of heart. It's not just a kind of answer. It's a kind of heart. It, it, it's the understanding on the inside that I haven't arrived yet. Uh, wisdom in, in one regard is the ability for you and I to continually live with a novice heart. Does this make sense? What do I mean by a novice heart? Well, what I mean by a novice heart is this. Uh, I, I mean never becoming an expert. Like ever. Ever. Ever, like even if you are an expert, never becoming an expert. There is something about wisdom that at its foundational level is so profoundly connected to humility. It's, it's, it's this idea that I never become the expert. Have you ever been in the presence of someone who maybe was or maybe wasn't an expert, but they thought they were an expert? Okay. Aside from the fact that that person is probably a jerk, I mean, it's possible maybe they're not, but they're probably a jerk. Aside from that, if you think you're an expert, can you learn anything? No. You're not teachable. 
There's something about wisdom that is humble-hearted, and it is in some ways, it's, it is the ability to remain a novice your whole life. Even if you've become considerably wise, even if you become considerably gifted, considerably knowledgeable, considerably good in any specific area, if you want to get wise, it will require us to hang on to the humility of saying, I will not let an expert spirit take root in my heart. I'll tell you a story. This happened a long time ago at the vineyard. We were <clears throat> we were putting together some home groups. And just like now, one of our young guys was going to lead a home group. He was 22, I think at the time. Maybe 21. And he was going to lead a home group. At that very same time, there was another guy at our church who was older, older, um, and in some ways, at least in terms of, in terms of the way that people in the outside world looked at him, was maybe more successful. Had been to college, got a couple advanced degrees, was living as a professional, and um, would have demanded a certain kind of respect based upon the job that he performed. Anyway, that's just to set it up and say this: this older gentleman who had better degrees and more respect in the world came to the pastor of the church at that time, who wasn't me, it was Ray, and let Ray know that he'd really like to be more of a leader at the church and was looking for a possession, a position of, of influence and felt like maybe he was to be an elder and to give direction and, and blah, blah, blah. And Ray says, well, hey, you know, that's great, but um, how about you start going to a home group? How about you just go to a home group? And, and this guy let Pastor know that uh, probably can't go to a home group. I could lead a home group, probably can't go to a home group because the home groups are led by young guys and there's nothing those guys can teach me. I've surpassed them. Okay. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? It's interesting on a couple levels because it really gets down to this idea of humility and this idea of being able to stay a novice and not become an expert. Because if you look at it from his perspective, if we jump inside of his body, someone who's highly educated, someone who's a professional, someone who has a certain amount of influence and respect in the wider world, if, you, if we jump inside of his body and begin to look out of his eyeballs, how many of you understand that the things that he's saying sound wise? Now, if you jump out of his body and you put yourself in the room, how many of you realize that what he is saying is haughty, is arrogant, and is foolish? Can you imagine like, this, ah, that guy can't teach me anything. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. That's what I'm talking about. We've got to pursue wisdom. You have to pursue wisdom. But in, even to be able to pursue wisdom, it actually requires us to have a kingdom heart. You can't pursue wisdom without humility. You can't pursue wisdom without being open. You can't pursue wisdom without being a novice. You can't pursue wisdom without being teachable. If nobody can ever tell you about your thing, even the thing you're really good at, if no one can add to it, take away, edit, or, or caress that thing a little bit, you're never going to get wisdom. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13 that knowledge has a tendency to puff up, but love builds up. 
Real wisdom is always grounded in humility. It builds up. It's always teachable, even in old age. And it's always curious. This is also an attribute of of true wisdom. Wisdom isn't uh, being totally sure about something and everything is just settled. A lot of times we think about wisdom when we think about like old men with long gray beards who are mostly boring. That would probably actually be the wrong picture. The real picture of wisdom is someone who's open, who's generous, who's novice-hearted, and in some ways really profoundly curious. And how many of you understand that curiosity is not connected to boredom? Like, th- this is what real wisdom is. Curious. That thing inside of you that keeps asking questions, keep doing that. Secondly, little foundation here. It's probably something that some of you in the room have already been thinking about. It's from Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge or wisdom, depending on your translation. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So along with humility, the fear of the Lord is a foundation for gaining wisdom. Uh, This is also somewhat counterintuitive because we have to think through, what does the fear of the Lord mean? Anybody ever thought about that? Anybody ever read that in the Bible and gone, I don't, like, time i don't know i give up just i'm going to something else jeremiah 29 something i know by the way jeremiah 29 that's like the life verse for everybody who's in college right it's my favorite verse i'm just i'm sorry um <laughs> what does it mean to fear the lord does it mean to live with an anxiety concerning God? Well, not exactly. Let's read a scripture. This is out of Exodus, chapter 20. This is immediately after Moses has gone up on the mountain and received the commandments from God. And he comes down, and we'll start in verse 18. It says this, Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off, and they said to Moses, You speak to us, and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us, lest we die. And Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of Him may be before you, that you may not sin, And the people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Now, this is an interesting little turn of phrase in the scripture. Um, These verses right here are probably, just my opinion, these are probably an example of the second biggest mistake made in the whole Old Testament. Right behind Adam and Eve eating fruit they weren't supposed to. This is probably the second biggest mistake made because this is essentially what happens. Moses goes up the mountain, they see all this stuff, and they and, and the people become somewhat afraid, and they say, they say to Moses, hey, you go talk to God. We don't want to hear him. You tell us what's up, and we'll be cool with that. If you know the rest of the story, you know it doesn't necessarily go super well after this. 
But this does contain a couple ideas for us here about the fear of the Lord. The people were proposing that Moses should become a mediator between them and God. And it was a huge mistake. Moses says to them, do not fear, you're being tested. And it's the kind of test that you only pass if you do not fear. Yet at the same time, God desires that, we, that the fear of him always be before our eyes. You pass this test by fearing the Lord. So there is, it's kind of a two-part test here. There's one that you pass by not fearing. And then there's another one that you do pass by fearing. And then the text provides the distinctions necessary to make some kind of sense out of this. The fear that Moses, that was, the fear that Moses was telling them to get rid of was the fear of coming close to God and hearing his voice. We should never, ever, ever be afraid to come close to God and to hear His voice. Ever. And at the same time, the fear that Moses wanted them to keep was the fear that God is powerful and that He's opposed to sin. It's the fear of kindling God's wrath against sin. It ought to not drive us away from God, but somehow towards God for mercy, if this makes sense. It's a bit of a riddle here, but... Inside the riddle, there's some insight. Moses says, don't fear God. He's come to test you. We should never, ever, ever fear God's voice or his presence. But the fear of the Lord, the kind that leads to wisdom, the fear of the Lord, the kind that leads to happiness and blessing, the fear of the Lord, the kind that leads to abundant life, if you want to say it that way, is is the fear that causes us to run to him rather than from him, especially when we have sin in our life. It's the fear, it's the fear of doing life without him. It's the fear of pursuing some goodness without him. It's the fear of the Lord that should cause us to run into his arms rather than away from him, even when we feel like we've done something terrible. And God says, you know what? Don't fear his voice. Moses says, don't fear the voice of the Lord. Don't fear his presence. Uh, he's powerful and he's opposed to sin. You should be afraid of that. But even in that, you've got to run to him. You've got to run to him. What is the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord is that thing that causes us to run to God rather than away from him. The fear of the Lord for you and I, is the, it, is, it, it, should be, it should be the fear that you and I could possibly live life away from God. That we, would, that we would develop a heart and a mind that is uncaring about Him or His ways. And we just go and do our own thing. That should be the fear that is resident. So if you have a sin issue, and by the way, we all do. But if you have a besetting sin, like one that you can't shake. Like something in your life and you know that it's not great and you, you can't get rid of it. Like you want to get rid of it and you can't get rid of it. What do you do? Wisdom says, wisdom says this. It says something sort of counterintuitive. Run to the one guy. Run to the one guy in the universe who could make you pay but won't. That's what wisdom says. The spirit of the age says if you've got a sin problem, especially if it's one you can't shake or get rid of, especially if it's one that feels like it has like considerable control over your life you should run away from god go and hide in your sin don't tell anyone about it if you have a sin problem one you can't shake especially one you can't talk about you should run to god i remember a few years ago jack Deere was here and he said something i'll never forget he said if you can't talk about it it owns you 
There's probably some people in the room this morning who have some stuff they can't talk about. If you can't talk about it, it owns you. And the fear of the Lord should cause you to run to him and not away from him. The fear of the Lord should cause you to find a trusted helper and to run into the arms of Jesus. Does this make sense? Mm-hmm. So church, we got to run. We got to run. Like we got to run for wisdom. We got to run for wisdom. Uh, many of us in the room have run for education. There is nothing wrong with that. You should run for education. Hey, I'm getting an, I, I'm started back to school this, this week even. It's a good thing. We should also pursue wisdom. The need of the hour is not necessarily more knowledge. It is wise and humble hearts who love God and who run toward Him. That's the need of the hour. We're living in a time that requires wisdom. Amen? Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Uh, Why don't you guys stand up? Marcus, you want to come up? Come on. The Lord uh, this week, this actually last three weeks, has put on my heart that there is uh, some real freedom Mm -hmm. for addiction in the room. Uh, And it's not just a today thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'd love to stick around and pray with you if you feel like this word is for you. But uh, it's a seasonal thing. And in this season, there's going to be freedom from addiction, things that bind you, uh, as Adam said, things that own you. Uh, If you don't want them to anymore, the Lord's got freedom for it. So that's it. Amen. Why don't, why don't you stay up here? Because I'm sure there's some people who need that. Yeah, if, if there's some stuff you, do, you can't talk about, it is time to get free. Um, it's interesting that, that's awesome. <laughs> Marcus came to me and wanted to share this this morning, but this is something that, um, that we've been talking about uh, even as a staff. And we just feel an invitation from the Lord, especially for people who are struggling mightily with addictions they cannot shake. This is a year to overcome them. Not in your own strength, the Lord's going to help, okay? Also, if you're, uh, I want to pray for you here in just a second, but if you're sick in your body at all, come up. We want to pray for you as well. Why don't we do this? Uh, why don't we just put our hands out in front of us here? This is going to be the benediction this morning. This is like classic old school vineyard. And we're going to ask God for wisdom. Uh, James says in his epistle, he says that if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously without reproach, meaning that he'll dump the truck on you and won't think you're an idiot for asking. So that's what we're going to do. Is that all right? Father, we just we confess to you this morning that we don't know anything. And God, we confess to you this morning that we need, we need wisdom. Uh, we need your wisdom. God, we need insight. We need, we need answers. God, we need humble hearts. We need... We need the ability to walk into a situation and be able to put knowledge to good work for everybody. Father, we ask for wisdom. God, we ask that you would, that you would dump the truck on us. Father, we ask that we would not just increase in knowledge, but God, that we would also increase in godly insight. And we ask it in your name. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you need to respond to this word at all, you come forward. We want to pray for you. Otherwise, give somebody a high five and a hug. The mass is ended. Go in peace.